the passage of Scripture that Jerry already, already read for us this morning, Luke chapter 24. This is the account from Luke, the apostle, on the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Luke records for us, as does the other writers of the gospel, the, the reality of this historical event that there was this man who came whose name was Jesus, who declared himself to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And as we've been going through, uh, we, I, I teach verse-by-verse uh, verse expo- expositionally, and we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. We're, we're in chapter 2 now, and, and we've seen in the Gospel of Mark that, that Jesus has, was recorded in the Gospels as this historical figure who made this claim to be of God, to be the Son of God. And then, and then he, he established his authority by demonstrating his power as not only just a someone from God, but God, the very of God's in the flesh. He came into his creation and became a man. We see Jesus as the second person of our triune God who took upon the form of a man. And he was tempted in all points like us, yet he is the unique one because he was without sin. And as the Gospels Gospels, all the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, declare and show us who this Jesus is and record for us these historical accounts of what he did, his miraculous behavior, his, his teachings that he had given his apostles and his disciples. We see all four of the Gospels culminating in this event in human history, which is the event of human history. It is the reason why we are here this morning to celebrate the fact that Jesus not only went to the cross and died, but three days later, he had victory over death and rose from the grave. The Gospels point to this fact that Jesus goes to the cross and and is punished and persecuted and whipped and scourged this, this man who knew no sin was judged in the sense that he was and he was physically assaulted and and abused and and forced to carry his cross to the hill of Golgotha and he he hung on the cross and then the scriptures declared that darkness came upon the face of the earth and it is then when the unimaginable happens the father pours out his wrath, his justice for sin upon the Lord Jesus. He's hanging on the cross. Darkness falls. And Jesus says a few things upon the cross, but one of them, he quotes Psalm 22. In this sense of justice and wrath being poured out upon him, he he quotes the, the messianic psalm of Psalm 22. My My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took the penalty upon himself. He took the penalty of sin. He died. But the good news is, three days later he rose. He rose from the grave. He had victory over death in Luke chapter 24, verses 5 through 8. Record, give us an account here, Luke 24, 5 through 8. Let's just read that again. We see uh, the women, a group of women coming to, to Jesus' tomb to, to prepare his body. 
They enter the tomb because the, the stone was rolled away, and they, uh, according to the Gospel of John, they see two angels. Luke describes them as two men in there, and this is the, the, uh, Luke's account for us. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. And this is the question they asked. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Jesus paid the penalty, satisfied God's judgment and wrath for sin. Not for himself, but for all who will believe. He had victory over the curse that comes from sin, that is death. And he demonstrated this power and authority to do so by literally, bodily rising from the grave three days later. He is not here, but he has risen, the angels declared. And then they begin to remind the women of what Jesus had tried to prepare them for, that this was a necessary event that had to happen. They say to them, to the women, remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying it is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. Jesus, before his death, was trying to explain and demonstrate to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to the cross to die, and then three days later, rise from the grave. And so the angels reminded him, don't you remember when he taught you that? And they go on, verse 8, or Luke goes on in verse 8 to say, they remembered his words. In that same chapter, Luke chapter 24, we see um, uh, disciples of Jesus who are very discouraged because their, their Lord, their, their, their Messiah, uh, who, who they've been following and, and been learning from, the Lord Jesus had gone to the cross and had died and they were discouraged walking to the road to Emmaus and, and Jesus appears to them after his resurrection And he too reminds them that this was a necessary thing. He told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus appears to them and begins to show them from Scripture, the entirety of Scripture, this church is the church of the Word of God. We, we love God's Word because it is God's special revelation to us. It is God's means in which the Creator of all things has revealed Himself to us and has revealed how, who He is and His holiness and His, His, uh, His beautiful faithfulness and all these attributes that has been revealed to us of who the Creator of all this is. We can know because he's revealed it to us in his word, and he's also given to us and revealed to us this way in which we can be restored and reconciled to him through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a way he's revealed in his entirety of his word how we can know, how we too can have victory over the curse of sin, death, 
That was a promise to Adam and Eve that they were to disobey in Genesis. You shall surely die if you partake of the fruit. Was the consequence that was dealt them. And not only was it a physical death, not only did their, their body uh, and spirit be, begin to, 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 uh, to separate through physical death, right? When we die, our spirit and our body separate. But it also, the scriptures speak of this spiritual death, that this separation occurs between us and our Creator. That a perfect and holy and just God cannot dwell in the, in the presence of sin. And, and because we, have, we, have, uh, we are human and we're born into what Adam and Eve had, have, had occurred on that day in the garden, we were born separated from sin. We have a sin problem that is preventing us to be able to have and be restored and reconciled to the God who created us. And this world, the world that you and I live in, demonstrates the fruits of the fallen world all around us. The travesties that are happening in Europe right now, the unspoken things that are happening in Asia, all all these things are the fruits of this this curse and the, the fallenness of mankind because of sin. But Jesus appears to these, these disciples on Emmaus' road and on the road to Emmaus, and he says, Don't you remember why I was with you? That everything written about me in the Old Testament, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He goes on, and then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Lord, would you open our minds and hearts for what you have for us in your word this morning? And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what it is written. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day. Jesus is showing them from the Old Testament how it has always been God's plan, God's intention to rescue and redeem his people through allowing his son Jesus to come into his creation as a man, 100% man, 100% God, to, to live the law that you and I could never hold up to. And, and on a daily basis, we demonstrate that. The Ten Commandments alone. Who's never lied? Anyone? We all fall short. But Jesus, the unique one, fulfilled the law in every point. Because he was not only man, but also 100% God. He was able to go to the cross as the spotless Lamb of God, as the perfect sacrifice that God had always intended to be to save a people through. I mentioned, I brought up this verse last week. So if you were here last week, this might be familiar to you. That the, uh, the Apostle Peter, who's proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ uh, to, at the day of Pentecost, he, he's, uh, the, the Spirit is just working just miraculously in their midst has come upon the church. Peter's proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And Peter reminds them that this was always God's plan. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, it has always from the foundation of the world been God's intention to save his people through the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. 
God's determined plan and foreknowledge. You used lawless people to nail him to a cross and to kill him. And we talked about it last week, how even though God in, or men intended it for evil, God used it for good and ultimately mankind's salvation. He goes on in verse 24, God raised him up, ending the pains of death, the consequences of sin, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. The eternal, infinite God died on the cross, took the penalty as a man for us, but because he was God, God cannot die. It is impossible for him to be held by, by death. God's wrath and justice was completely and, and ultimately and perfectly poured out upon Jesus. The satisfaction of God's wrath was appeased on Jesus that day. But death could not hold him. We sang about it this morning. Three days later, he rose from the grave. That's the beautiful message of the gospel, the gospel that Jesus has made a way for us to be reconciled to a holy and just God. And I just want to spend the next few minutes showing out a scripture. And this is really tough for me to just bounce around and pull verses out. I just love starting at what's well, beginning of a book and, and going through it and I'll let the writer. So this is tough for me, but I just, I'm trying to, and, and the, 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 the members of this church and those who, who know me will testify to the fact that I'm pulling these, these texts out of the, uh, of the Bible, out of the scriptures this morning to demonstrate this, this good plan, this, the good news of Jesus Christ and how in the entirety of scripture, both the old and the new Testament, this has always been God's intention. But we need to understand the why. Why did Jesus have to come? We talked about sin and, and God, uh, a holy and just God being, uh, having to, if he's truly holy and just, has to pour out, has to judge sin. And that is the why ultimately we are accountable to our creator. Although our society is, is um, just, just running away from the the absolute reality that there is a creator and, and because he's our creator, we are accountable to him. Uh, because they deny his existence and, and declare to, to make truth their own truth instead of uh, seeking the truth that God has revealed to, uh, to us in his word. It does not change the fact that we and all of humanity will be accountable to our creator. Isaiah, or Psalm eighty nine fourteen. The psalmist says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Righteousness. God is righteous and he's just. And the scriptures and the entirety of scripture says there's coming a day when every evil will be judged. God will avenge him, his righteousness. He will judge. And the psalmist goes on to say, that God is also steadfast in His love and, and faithful. So not only is God righteous and just, He's also loving and faithful. And it is in the, the gospel message that we see the righteousness and justice of God. Be completely integrated with His love and faithfulness. We see justice being carried out as God, the Father, pours judgment upon His Son, Jesus, on the cross for us in our stead. 
And it's a demonstration of His love for us. He's made a way for us to be reconciled to Him. He's made a way for us to not be judged for what we truly deserve in our sin and unrighteousness. Because Jesus went on our behalf. He was our substitute. So accountable to our Creator. That's what the Scriptures declare. We, we, we are not getting away with anything. Society is not getting away with redefining what truth is. There is coming a day when God will put everything under His feet and will judge all things according to the Scriptures. And there's bad news. I've already talked about it. There's bad news that the knowledge of sin comes through the law. The fact that we, in God's Word, He's demonstrated to us that we, we have a problem. That we are dwelt with sin. Let me share with you Romans 3, 21 and 25. The Apostle Paul puts it perfectly. But now, apart from the law, there's the righteousness of God has been revealed. And so he's saying, he's, he's using Romans 1 and 2 and 3 to, to demonstrate to both to the Jew and to the Gentile that all of us in our humanity, in our fallen state, we all fall short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. And he says to us here in verse 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of, of God has been revealed, attested by the law, and the prophets, again, the entirety of Scripture. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. So this righteousness that God demands can be found, what? Through faith in Jesus Christ. Through believing and trusting that when Jesus went to the cross and the wrath of God was poured out upon Him, He, he did it for you. He stood in your place and took the penalty. The righteousness of God is, is through how we become righteous in the eyes of a holy God is through placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And who is it extended to? Not to the Jew only. Not to a certain ethnic branch. But to all. To all who believe. Since there is no distinction. And he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He goes on to say, in verse 24, they are justified freely. Justified, that's a legal declaration of being righteous. They're justified freely by His grace. I can't get over that word. Grace. Unmerited unfavor. Unmerited love. God extends to us salvation through Christ Jesus by trusting in what He's done, but it's an expression of God's love to us. Because as we see Scripture, we see that there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves. There's no amount of righteousness or religion that we could ever do that could wash us from the taint of sin. That's the reality of what Scripture has declared, and that is why Jesus had to come. We are justified, legally declared righteous, freely by His grace, His unmerited love. Through what? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Christ went to the cross to redeem us, to purchase us from the wages of sin. We all are accountable to our, our, our Creator. And Christ redeemed us from what we truly deserved. God presented Him 
verse 25, as the mercy seat by his blood through faith. We went through uh, Tony's taking, Brother Tony's taking us through Romans in our Tuesday night Bible study. And we just got done covering this, this chapter. And after I went to the Bible study, I had my outline for, for today all lined out and ready to go. And I, I, had to, I started over yesterday because I wanted to include this passage of Scripture. God presented him, Jesus, as the mercy seat, painting this picture, demonstrating to us Paul is, who was a Pharisee. He knew the Jewish traditions and the law. He's, he's pointing us back to this idea that's found in the Old Testament temple of the, the holy temple and the holy place. And then there's the holy of holies that's, that's uh, separated by this veil that's where demonstrates where God's presence is supposed to be. It's cut off by, from, to mankind because of, of our sin. And that thin veil prevented us to have access to him. Uh, all this imagery that's painted for us in the Old Testament and the temple and the tabernacle. And in this holy of holy place, there's the Ark of the Covenant. And upon the Ark of the Covenant is the mercy seat in which the high priest would go in one year and he would... Uh, he would First, they would find a, a spotless lamb of God, or a spotless lamb, and they would sacrifice that 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 animal. And the, the high priest would go in once a year on the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, and they, he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, first for himself and then for the sins of of God's people. Year after year after year. This is what in the Old Testament era they would do to to temporarily cover their sin. But it was all pointing as Jesus showed his disciples on the road to Emmaus and the angels reminded the ladies in the tomb. All of that in the Old Testament was pointing to this time. This epic, this amazing demonstration of God's love and his, also his justice and righteousness. Upon Jesus Christ, it was pointing to him coming as the spotless Lamb of God, to offer Himself as the sacrifice once and for all. He paid the penalty once and for all, the writer of Hebrews says in the entirety of Scripture. And that's why there's no more need for temples and, and blood sacrifices of animals because it was pointing to Jesus and Jesus has fulfilled it. And God has presented Him as the mercy seat He is the means in which we can receive God's mercy because He took the penalty for us. Why? How or how? God presented us by His blood, the shedding of His blood. And we access that, this this gift of salvation through His grace by, by faith, by abandoning hope in all else, by abandoning hope in our righteousness and and goodness, we need to understand that we, we cannot hold a candle to the righteousness of God. We, we demonstrate the, 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 stain, the taint of, of sin daily in our lives. The, the world all around us is a, a manifest presentation of, of sin and the fall and all these things, with even the wickedness in our own hearts if we're truly honest with, with ourselves. I remember when I was an associate pastor in 2009 or something like that, we were doing a remodel at the, the facility we were doing. And so I came down there to help the guy who was laying carpet. And uh, I came in, I'm like, am I here to help? He's like, well, this is kind of, he was laying glue with the trowel on the floor. And I'm like, I'm here, I can help. And he's like, oh, this is, this is kind of dicey because the, the carpet glue is, you know, can get really messy. I'm like, ah, I got it. I, I'm pretty good with my hands. 
And so I start helping them spread this glue. The next thing you know, it kind of gets up on my handle, on my trowel, the glue does. And, and so now all of a sudden my, my trowel's sticking to my hand. And, and so I'm using my other hand to push it. And then next thing you know, I'm getting glue just spread all over me. I mean, the next thing you know, I, I can't get a hold of the, the trowel won't drop from my hands. You know, I'm shaking it and I have glue up and down my arms. And, and the, the, the more I struggle, the, the more glue it seems like it's spreading all over my body. I go to the, to the bathroom and I, I grab a towel and I'm like, I got to get this washed off. Well, guess what? Water and soap does not take away carpet glue. It's impermeable to that. And so I begin to scrub really hard with, with the towel and, and the glue was sticking so much that like I was pulling out my arm hair. And the more I struggled, the more I tried to clean myself, the dirtier I got. And that is what sin has done to us. It's inescapable. Eventually the carpet glue wore off. And my wife has banned me from all all things paint and glue. (laughs) But as far as sin goes, there's no wearing off. There's no winking of God's eye at the sin that we carry and the consequences of our sin. We are tainted by it. And that is why Christ had to come. He who knew no sin became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Jesus took upon sin for us on the cross. He experienced the wrath that you and I deserve. 2 Corinthians 5.21 goes on to say, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Not only did Jesus take our sin penalty, but then He he imputes his righteousness, his perfect righteousness to our account for those who will believe and receive this gospel message. That the eyes of a holy and just God will not see us in our sin because he has already paid the penalty in Christ or given the penalty out to Jesus for us. And instead, the Father sees our right, his righteousness. It is a gift It's unearned. It is a demonstration of God's love for you to rescue you from what you truly deserve. Christ has made a way for us to become clean through the faith in the gospel. And why we celebrate today is because not only did Jesus claim He was the Messiah and that He came to to take away sin and to allow a means for, which, for us to be reconciled to God. He, he not only claimed it, he demonstrated it by going to the cross, dying, taking the penalty upon himself, but ultimately demonstrating his power to snatch the consequences of sin from our reality. He defeated death. He bodily rose from the grave three days later, And that is why we meet this morning to celebrate the fact that Jesus has made us clean. If you've placed your faith and trust in Him, if you've abandoned hope in your righteousness and your religious works, and you've placed your faith in Him, the Scriptures declare He will save you, He will make you clean, and you will be given eternal life. The Apostle Paul writes, In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1-4, through he gives us the definition of the gospel. Gospel means good news. And I'm here to tell you and to 
testify to you this morning that the gospel is not some institution or it's not some religious work. The gospel is an historical fact that Jesus came and he lived and he died, was buried, and three days later rose from the grave. That is the good news because he did it for us. He did it for you if you will only believe and receive him. He gives us this gospel from the Apostle Paul. This is the gospel. And it's in verse 2, by which we are being saved from what we truly deserve. If we hold fast, if we believe and trust in it alone. He goes on to say, unless you believe in vain, and he'll work that out as, as if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then we're all, it's silly for us to be here. Because he's just another man claiming to be the Messiah who, who, was caught, who died and his bones are still in the grave. Then it's in vain. There's no reason to place our faith in Christ if, he's, if he never rose from the grave. But the scriptures declare the eyewitness accounts that Jesus did rise from the grave three days later. And it gives us hope that for those who have placed their faith and trust in, in what the gospel is, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, again, the entirety of scriptures, then those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ, we have this hope that just as Jesus rose from the grave, the promise is, is there's this coming a day when, when you and I who've placed our faith in Christ uh, will, will rise bodily from the grave. That we too, because we placed our faith in Christ and because he had the power to overcome the death and the grave, so too that you and I who placed our faith and trust in Christ will be bodily raised from the grave, that we will be given this eternal life, that our bodies will, will be no longer suffering from the corruption of sin, that will be no more sorrow, no more, no more death, no more tears. We'll be as Jesus was, bodily risen again into incorruptible reality. That is the hope that we have. And that's what Paul writes to us, and I'm closing with this in Ephesians. But God, He gives us this hope, this hope that is found in the resurrection of Jesus. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love that He had for us, He made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead, separated from God because of our sin. Even though we were dead in our trespasses, Christ has made us alive. And He says, you are saved by grace. God's unmerited favor, God's gift of salvation through Christ. Verse 6, He has also raised us up with Him. That is our hope, the spiritual reality for those who place their faith and have been born again in Christ and have been born again. We, we sit in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. That is our position. We are part of His body. And His promise is that He's coming back for His church, His body. One day He will return. Paul says in Corinthians that to be absent from the body for a believer is to be present with the Lord. This is the great hope that we have in the resurrection. He raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages, for all of eternity, he might display the immeasurable. That means you can't measure it riches of his grace we will have all of eternity to experience the immeasurable riches of god's grace 
given to us through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on to say, for you are saved not through keeping the law, not through the law, uh, in Paul writes in Galatians, was given to us to show us just how sinful we truly were and how in desperate need we were of a Savior. You're saved by grace. You receive this gift of salvation through abandoning hope and your righteousness or your way of doing things and placing your faith in Christ alone. You're saved by grace through faith and it is not of yourselves. You can't do it in and of your own self. It is God's gift. It's a gift. He's offering it to us to the proclamation of His gospel this morning. And it's up to each of us, to each of you, to do with it what you will. To receive this gift of salvation by placing your faith and trust in Christ or not, rejecting it. It is a gift, God's gift, not of works, so that no one can boast. We, as believers, have nothing to boast in this morning. It is nothing in, in and of my, my own righteousness or good works that God has saved me. It is through Christ alone. Christ went to the cross. He took the p- p- penalty upon himself for us. And he had victory over the consequences of sin, which is death. And for those who place their faith in him, that is the promise, that is the hope for us. That there is coming a day when we will be bodily raised from the dead into newness of life and we will spend all of eternity with our God and our Savior. We will dwell with our God. And sin and the consequences of sin will be no more. And that is the hope of Easter this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be able to be reminded through your word, God, what you've done for us in Christ. That you've made the way. That even though we are dead in our trespasses and sin, you've made us alive.